Holy Hour of Power. This is UFC Catholicism. My name is Jesse Romero, Ultimate Faithful Catholics, Ultimate Fighting Catholics. I know a little bit about fighting. I fought for 10 years in the ring. So, full disclosure, I had 64 fights in the ring in kickboxing. I was 60 and 4. 60 wins, 4 losses. Uh, the 4 losses were by decision. Never been knocked out. So when I talk about UFC Catholicism, I know what, what I'm talking about, spiritually and physically. Hey, welcome to the show. My partner Terry's doing some apostolic work. Uh, it's the month of December. It's dedicated to the Immaculate Conception. The first uh, 24 days of December fall during the liturgical season, uh, known as Advent, and are represented by the liturgical color purple, which is a symbol of penance, mortification, and the sorrow of a contrite heart. <clears throat> the remaining days of December mark the beginning of the Christmas season, and that liturgical color changes to white or gold, which is a symbol of joy, purity, and innocence. <clears throat> Before we get into some soul food, the gospel of today, Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 37, today's also the feast day of St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas, ora pro nobis, pray for us. St. Nicholas is Santa Claus. Yeah, St. Nicholas of Myra, Myra, Turkey. Uh, today, we as Catholics, we commemorate this bishop of the early church. He was known for his generosity and love of children he was born in Lycia in Asia Minor around the late 3rd or 4th century. St. Nicholas of Myra is more than just the inspiration for the modern-day Santa. As a young man, he's said to have made a pilgrimage to Palestine and Egypt in order to study in the School of the Desert Fathers on returning home years later. He was immediately ordained Bishop of Myra, which is now Demra on the coast of modern-day Turkey. Uh, this holy bishop was imprisoned during the Diocletian persecution and only released when the Constantine, when Constantine the Great came to power and made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. One of the most famous stories of the generosity of St. Nicholas says that he threw bags of gold through an open window in a house of a poor man to serve as a dowry for the man's daughters, who otherwise was about to sell his daughters off into prostitution because he was broke. And the gold is said to have landed in the family's shoes, which were drying near the fire. This is why children leave their shoes out by the door or hang their stockings by the fireplace in the hopes of receiving a gift on the eve of this feast. St. Nicholas is associated with Christmas because of the tradition that he had the custom of giving secret gifts to children. He came from a very wealthy family. He basically wanted to get rid of everything before he died. It's also conjectured that the saint, who was known to wear red robes and have a long white beard, was culturally converted into the large man with a reindeer and a drawn sled full of toys because in German, his name is San Nicolas, which almost sounds like Santa Claus. And in the East, he is known as St. Nicholas of Myra for the town in which he was bishop. But in the West, he's called St. Nicholas of Bari because during the Muslim conquest of Turkey in 1087, his relics were taken to Bari by the Italians and St. Nicholas is a patron of children and of sailors. His intercession is sought by sh the shipwrecked 
by those in difficult economic circumstances and for those affected by fire. He died on December 6, 346 AD. St. Nicholas, he's also known for having punched a heretic. Uh, Father Arius of Alexandria, who was uh, pr- who promoted the Arian heresy and was rejecting the full divinity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was not fully God. And so Bishop Nicholas, the story goes, the tradition goes, is that he met him at the Council of Nicaea, walked across the room, and punched him in the face. Yep, St. Nicholas of Myra, pray for us. A couple of other things that are happening in and around the culture. Uh, yeah, by the way, for all those you Catholics out there in, in, in Phoenix Diocese, tomorrow night, we're going to, tomorrow, December, Thursday, we are going to have a rosary prayer rally. Uh, me and my wife are going to lead the rosary prayer rally. Why? Because we're going to have some drag queens that are going to be coming to downtown Phoenix at the Arizona Financial Theater. And they're going to be having a what? <laughs> they're going to be having a Christmas drag event. Mocking the Holy Family, mocking our Lord Jesus Christ, mocking St. Joseph and Our Lady. So hundreds of us Catholics are going to be out there tomorrow night. I'll be there at 7 p.m. Uh, we'll start the rosary at 7.30 to 9 p.m. And we're going to be praying prayers of reparation for the sacrilege and the blasphemy against the Holy Family. Praying in public. It's going to be at, uh, in, at 400 West Washington Street, Phoenix, at the Arizona Financial Theater, 7.30 to 9 p.m. I'll be there at 7 p.m. with my wife. Uh, peacefully praying prayers of reparation and also prayers to ask God and Our Lady to give them the grace of conversion. Can you imagine how many of them, how many of them are fallen away Catholics that are going to be there at this uh, at this Christmas drag event? So I thank you. Yeah, we have it on screen right now, so you can take a look at it. Uh, if you, if you want to join us, we'd love for you, you Phoenix Catholics, come out, bring a rosary, bring a heart full of love. Be in a state of grace uh, and come and pray with us as we pray prayers of reparation and prayers seeking the conversion of these people who are blaspheming our Lord Jesus Christ and Our Lady tomorrow night in Phoenix. The flyer is on my website, jesseromero.com, and the flyer is right now being posted uh, on the show as I speak. Also want to mention that uh, there's an article that came out by, it's, uh, by Gateway Pundit. The article is called Ignored by COP28 death cult, major study finds nine times more deaths due to freezing cold than to heat deaths every year. Did you get that? Nine times more people die of freezing cold than they do by heat deaths every year. The Gateway Pundit just republished a study earlier this year. The death cult at COP28 will ignore this little fact for this week. But a Lancet study revealed that cold weather is responsible for approximately 90% of the 5.1 million annual excess deaths attributed to temperature. So it looks to me like we could use some more heat. Hey, today's gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the gospel of St. Matthew. Chapter 15, verse 29 and following. At that time, Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain and sat down there. 
great crowds came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the deformed, the mute, and many others. They placed them at his feet and he cured them. The crowds were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the deformed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind able to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. You know what? Uh, Jesus Christ is the, divine, is the divine physician, and Jesus Christ healed people in his name 2,000 years ago. And people have been healed by Jesus for the last 2,000 years in what we call miracles. And Jesus Christ will heal everybody ultimately when they enter heaven. Everybody will be perfectly healed. The soul will be perfectly conformed to the will of God and the faculties will be perfectly ordered. And those that receive their body, their bodies will be perfectly healed in heaven as well. What Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago is essentially a dress rehearsal of what he's going to do for all of us, body and soul in heaven one day. And he's been doing that for the last 2,000 years in miracles here and miracles there uh, that have no human explanation. The gospel says, Jesus summoned his disciples and said, My heart is moved with pity for the crowd, for they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. You have a lot of this three days motif all over the Bible, which is a sign of the Trinity. I do not want to send them away hungry for fear they may collapse on the way. The disciples said to him, Where could we ever get enough bread in this deserted place to, to satisfy such a crowd? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied, and a few fish. He ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. The number seven, by the way, is a sign of perfection in the Old Testament, the sign of the number of God, the number of the covenant. He took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks. That, that's the Greek word, eucharistine. Eucharistine, gave thanks. Broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, who in turn gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. They picked up fragments left over, seven baskets full, the gospel of the Lord. This miracle of the feeding of 5,000 people with, uh, with, with bread and fish, this is reminiscent of the Catholic Mass. Jesus Christ feeds the whole world now through the Catholic Mass in the Holy Eucharist. So this is a precursor. This is a precursor of the Catholic Mass. And I'll tell you, this is also a precursor of what's going to happen in heaven. We will all be fed with the manna from the desert in heaven or the New Testament manna. And so as Catholics, thank you, Lord, for the great gift that you've given us, the Holy Eucharist. Hey, next on the rundown, we're going to have an interview with uh, Joseph Julian and Monique Gonzalez. They came out with a book called Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. Since we are now in the novena to Our Lady of Guadalupe, this is a perfect time to discuss all things Our Lady of Guadalupe. I have a lot of questions for these authors, so stick around. We'll be right back. We are back, the Terry and Jesse show. And as we've entered into the nine days, the nine day celebration of Our Lady Guadalupe, which is huge. This is huge in Mexico, 
in Hispanic parishes. But I'll tell you what, she's really the, she's really the lady of the Americas. I mean, the Blessed uh, Our Lady Guadalupe, this miracle is, is, uh, is something that is widespread in the Americas. It's basically changed North and South America, and it's given us this, this uh, incredible Marian devotion that everybody should be proud of. We have two authors that have written a book on this, so I want to welcome Joseph, Julian, and Monique Gonzalez. Welcome, my friends, to the Terry and Jesse Show. Hi, Jesse Romero. Thanks for having us. I appreciate you guys being on, and you guys have written a book called Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. Boy, oh boy. Uh, I'm glad you guys did this, because one of the things about Our Lady of Guadalupe, I just, I just have a feeling that she's going to play an important role before the second coming into Christ, and, and maybe we'll develop that a little bit later. But let me ask you guys... Uh, what makes your book on Guadalupe different from other books that have been written? Because uh, there's there's dozens of books on Our Lady. What's particular about your book that would make it different? Uh, and why should people, you know, be want to read it? Well, only we explain it is most people know about the Tilma, and there's been a lot of books analyzing the Tilma that speak about that. Also, there's other books that talk about the millions of Christian indigenous conversions that happened in the 10 years after the apparition of Guadalupe in 1531. Also, people know about the narrative, the the, the encounter between St. Juan Diego and Guadalupe. Uh, in our book, we, we really state that that's just the tip of the iceberg, mm. that those are the things that people know, but beneath the surface, there is so much more and it we'll, we'll talk about it later, but it basically breaks down into two things that probably people have never heard of. Number one is Flower World, which deals with the uh, disciplines, scholastic disciplines of archaeology, anthropology, and linguist. Takes us back to the cradle of, of, of American civilization. It's a belief system. It's a belief system in, in a floral power, uh, paradisal afterlife realm, and we can get into wow. that. The second thing that's born of that is what happens later, centuries later, is the idea of Nahua philosophy. Mm -hmm. Now, the Nahua were the people that spoke the Nahuatl language, which there were many different groups around the time of the conquest. We're talking around 1521. Uh, but there was a whole idea of flower and song and flowers that come down from heaven so that the singer poet can gather them in their tilma and present them to the lords and princes. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's kind of a little thumbnail of, of why our book is different. You know, one of the things that did open my eyes years ago to the, to the time and place that Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared, when I watched Mel Gibson's movie, Apocalypto, and I'm at, in college, I'd read about the Aztec culture and the cannibalism and, and some of the horrible practices that the infanticide, the sacrificing human beings on the temples and the pyramids, but kind of watching it in that movie, I'm like saying, man, thank you, Jesus, that he sent his mother to go fix that place because boy, oh boy, it was, it was a culture of death. So, so yeah. you've used this word, uh, you know, Guadalupe flower world prophecy. What is the Guadalupe flower world prophecy? What is it? Well, basically what it is, is we're saying that 
there's a previous story that exists and it, we speculate it could be up to 3000 years old. Wow. And it sounds just like the Guadalupe story in so far as you have someone looking for precious, holy, sweet flowers. And he is told to go to a mountain to then gather these flowers in his tilma and then carry it down the mountain as a message of happiness and joy to the princes and how that connects with the Guadalupe story is it's obvious similarities, right? But also in the beginning of the Guadalupe account, when St. Juan Diego, you know, he's traveling down South towards Mexico city to take part in the sacraments. He, when he passes by the hill of Tepeyac, he's swept into this paradisal realm. And there's a ton of descriptors talking about these radiating stones and the light and they're singing. He's, he's moved into an environment where he's surrounded by music. And his first response when he encounters it is, could I be worthy of what I hear? Which is a very key line, which we'll get into in a moment. But then the second thing he says is, could I be in the place my ancient ancestors spoke of? Um. The flower world paradise uses an exact term, the flower world paradise in Shoshit Lalpan and Tonakat Lalpan in the land of heaven. So the moment he says in his first words, he identifies as flower world paradise. He ties himself to this ancient indigenous belief system, which we now know goes back at least 3000 years. So, you know, called flower. it's called flower world. And Joseph was starting to talk about how we know about it. And it's a recent inter interdisciplinary studies that go back only about 20 to 30 years. Because this is all new scholarship what they're discovering. And this flower world, it was first discovered through song poems through the American Southwest. They started finding out that the indigenous, whether it be the Hopi or the Hohoakam or the Shoshone, the Comanche, they're all talking about this flower world paradise. So they started to ask questions, what is this flower world paradise? How is it that all these different people are talking about the same place, they're using the same descriptors? And then in the process of doing that, um, they, they discovered that, the, of course, that the people of Mesoamerica also had song poems talking about the same place. They're thousands of miles away. So it opened up this whole school of study that they started asking the archaeologists to go a little further and say, are we right on this? Is this something that we're just noticing it's a coincidence or is it real? And so when the archaeologists took it and uh, started studying the different archaeological ruins throughout Mesoamerica, they started realizing we're all talking about the same place and it's in different periods of time. It's in the it's in the beginning of Mesoamerican civilization in 1500 BC. It's in the Mayans. It's in the Teotihuacan. It's in the Nahuatl people. So that's kind of how we know about it. And Joseph will probably want to jump off that. And so, run so let it. me just, I, I know we just threw throwing a lot of information, information. out, but it, it basically I, I comes you guys are You guys are connecting in my mind how the, this flower world, how it's tied to the Guadalupe narrative. That's what you guys are doing right now, right? Right, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. right, okay. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. this is all the background to inform so we can understand the Guadalupe narrative better. Right, so we, so we have flower world, this ancient belief system. It's, it's, it was discovered through these song poems, mm -hmm. but it relates to this earlier song poem that we were talking about, the one that the, sing, the singer who wants to gather flowers in his tilma, mm -hmm. and the experts actually tie it to that. But what we are doing is we're saying there's an obvious connection between this ancient song poem and this whole genre of poems called flower song poems or Aztec flower song poems as it's referred to, 
there's an obvious connection to the Guadalupe narrative because we just brought up one quick example. Just one. When Juan Diego identifies this place in Xochitlalpan, in Tonacatlalpan by name, and you find that exact same place in all these so-called Aztec flower song poems, Columns. where they identify the exact same place by name. And describe so, it uh, so that, with that, words and everything. That's kind of a, an initial premise of our book. You know, what's interesting, this is all, uh, you know, my my the synapses are starting to pop in my brain because now I'm starting to understand uh, you know the the flowers on the tilma, the flowers on her actual on her actual you know mantle and her dress, the, all all the flower figures uh, give give flower give roses to the bishop. Everything about this this apparition is tied in with flowers, and now you're making the connection that this this goes way back in history, way yes. beyond that that particular 1531 apparition. This is tied back to that culture which goes back maybe even centuries, correct? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So so what we're saying is that essentially you we what we find in flower world are kind of two major concepts. One of them is the flower world paradise that we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. The second point is the flower is the dominant sim symbol. Now, the, Everyone, quickly, yes. the, the flower is basically a transcendental symbol, a connection between heaven and earth through this thing called the four directions, four, four cardinal points. Uh, a, a flower is super, a four petaled flower is superimposed on this to give the connection that there's a vertical point that, that emanates from the middle of this, which is the connection between heaven and earth. But more importantly is that, of course, there was polytheism, pantheism, human sacrifice that we can trace through history and really reached an apex when the Franciscan friars and when, you know, uh, uh, Cortez and everybody arrived in 1519 through 1521. But there was a transcendental idea that undergirded all of this that a lot of people don't know about. For example, the bloody wars that was taken out between the Aztecs, or more correctly to call them the Mexica, was actually called the flower wars. And the flower world concept was actually to get sacrificial victims so that they could turn into butterflies and, and hummingbirds and they could go up to heaven. That's kind of the philosophy underneath it. And I know it's, it's a lot, but what to sum it up quickly is that it is by this means that kind of God snuck in, so to speak, a, a, like a crack of transcendental beliefs that eventually turned into these song poems, which eventually were fulfilled through the Guadalupe narrative. Fascinating. I've I've, I'm pretty well read in Our Lady Guadalupe. In fact, my parish that I go to is Our Lady Guadalupe, but I've mm -hmm. never heard I've never heard this angle that you're coming from. This whole Guadalupe uh, flower world prophecy. This is new to me, and this is this is this is good stuff. So you're saying this is pretty recent scholarship, correct? Yes. Yes, it's, it's almost fortuitous. You know, the whole yeah. Guadalupe, uh, excuse me, flower world premise was, was started in 1991. The understanding of uh, it. A, a linguist named an anthropologist named Jane Hill, mm -hmm. actually from the University of Arizona, she published a paper called "The Flower World of the Old Udo Aztecan," and it it hit the world, you know, scholastic storm, world like it was yeah. by storm, and it's really started this whole life idea of kind of reinterpreting Mesoamerican history through this concept of mm -hmm. flower world as well as all the pyramids 
Yeah. Yeah. I want to continue this conversation, but people are texting me. They're asking me, where can I get the book? What's the website? <laughs> to get the, book? the book's called Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. And we're right now in the Novena to Our Lady Guadalupe. This is the perfect time to buy this book and really shore up your interior life and understand this at a deeper level because the Guadalupe apparition affects all the Americas. Where can yes. people get this book? You can find it at Sophia Institute Press, but you can also find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Pretty much everybody's selling it right now, so you can find it almost anywhere. Okay, SophiaInstitutePress.com <clears throat> or all the, big, uh, all the big guys, all the big publishers, right? Mm-hmm. But yes, Catholics, yes. Go, go to Sophia. Uh, you got to support yes. a Catholic. Yeah, go to SophiaPress.com. Uh, make, that, make that your first choice. Support Catholic apostolates, uh, Catholic book, book publishing companies. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation with this incredible couple, Joseph Julian and Monique Gonzalez. The book is called Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. I'm learning a whole bunch of stuff. I'm taking notes right now. No, I'll just get the book. SophiaPress.com, SophiaPress.com. Stick around. We'll be right back. I got some more questions to ask this couple. We're back. St. <clears throat> Nicholas, pray for us. Our Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. A lot pray of things to pray for. We got this power couple here, Joseph, Julian, Gonzalez, Monique Gonzalez. They wrote a book. It's called Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. Pick it up from Sophia Press. Let that be your first choice before you go anywhere else. SophiaPress.com, SophiaPress.com. And we're talking about all things Our Lady Guadalupe. I have a special devotion to her. I'm, I'm Mexican-American. My parents are from Mexico. Uh, she's been part of my life uh you know, my devotion to her has, has, has grown and grown throughout the years. And the parish that I go to now here in Phoenix, Arizona is Our Lady of Guadalupe. So she's always been around my life, right in front of me, right in front of my screen. I've got an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So that's the image I look at as I'm doing radio and podcasts. So uh, I can't get her out of my heart and I don't want to. Uh, got another question for you. How does, how does the Aztec Flower song give the background context for the Guadalupe encounter. I know you're talking about it, but go deeper into it. Yeah. Okay. So we already brought up two concepts, the flower world paradise as a paradisal afterlife and flower is a dominant symbol, a transcendent connection. The flower is a symbol for a transcendent connection between heaven and earth. Okay. So later on in the centuries, um, you know, we're talking about 1500 BC right now, but as we kind of move into the Nawa area era, we're now about, you know, 1300s, 1400s. We see a lot of these poems, and they're referred to as Aztec flower song poems. It's a genre, okay? And there's a lot of things that you find in common with them, but there's one poem in particular. It's called Origin of the Songs. Origin of the Songs in Nahuatl, it's Huica Pecayot. And it has a specific narrative, which kind of sets up the rest of these flower songs. So Monique, Monique's going to briefly mm-hmm. give you the narrative to that. Got it. So the way the way the story goes is at the very beginning of the song, you have a singer. And he kind of represents every man, all the people of Mesoamerica. And he starts off saying, I, I contemplate within my heart, um, where can I find the good, sweet, holy flowers? 
So over the course of this narrative, he's asking the hummingbirds and he's asking the butterflies. He's asking all kinds of birds. And a hummingbird steps up and said, I will lead you into in Shoshitlalpan and Tonopatlalpan, the flower world paradise. So when he goes into this flower paradise, it seems as though he sees these bright, shining, radiating flowers of immense colors and that are singing in an environment that's completely singing. And upon seeing them, he supposedly gathers him in his tilma. They actually use that term and, mm-hmm. and, and wants to run down to share it with the lords and the princess to make them happy. But what happens next is, is kind of sad. He discovers he didn't actually go there. He either had a vision, who knows, but he, he had a glimpse of it, but then it was taken away from him. So the moment it's taken away from him, you find him kind of lamenting and saying, I wish I could go back there. I want to get those flowers. But how could I, who is worthless and who sins on earth and is afflicted, obtain these flowers and go to the flower world paradise? And thankfully, within the next couple of lines, we have a solution for that. And the solution, he says, if only the God of far and near in Tloke Nawake can make one worthy of these flowers. And so the story ends like... a. Uh, half of a hero's journey he doesn't quite complete the quest he doesn't get the flowers he's crying out but the song ends with him saying i'm craving i hope one day i can make it to this flower world paradise where i can be filled with the aromatic smell of these incredibly precious flowers so it ends on a lament so in a sense what's really good is it it seems like it sets up the guadalupe story where Juan Diego actually finds the flowers that the previous singer didn't find. So that's kind of what we're dealing with. And and what we're basically saying, and you know, that this is kind of a defining myth of Mesoamerica. And and people say, oh, this just sounds like a kind of a silly story. But these myths are very important. These are archetypal. These are the way that people see themselves. themselves. This is a paradise lost story, which is very common in pagan stories. It's a way that pagan man was able to explain the fallen world in which he lives in it, it's it's archetype it's all over the place but the <laughs> yeah. thing is is that a, a paradise lost story cra- cries out for a paradise gained story right so what we're saying is that the story between of, of juan diego actually finding the flowers is an overarching hero story which if you're into mm-hmm. Joseph Campbell and kind of the mm-hmm. monomyth and all this other stuff, which so many people have proven, you know, Jordan Peterson talks about all these mm-hmm. different people talk about it, that these myths are so important that if you place the earlier poem with the Nicomopo, the story of Guadalupe, it reads as one story. It's part one. Is and the Guadalupe one? story is part, part two. two. It sets oh, it up because as yeah. you said, Juan Diego starts by saying, I'm in this flower world paradise. Am I worthy of what I'm hearing? Why would he say that? Because the previous poem talks about the singer wanting to be worthy to go into the flower world paradise. And there's another kicker, another kind of spoiler alert. We just told you about the God of far and near in Tloke Nawake as being the only one who can make one worthy. Well, well, in the Guadalupe narrative, what do we find? We have Mary coming forward and she identifies herself. And at first she says, I'm the mother of the one true God. Um, but the, the next thing that she says, she gives four terms that are very specific to the Nawa understanding of one supreme God. And very specifically, she says, I'm the mother of the God of far and near. 
and Tlokinawake. So she's tying herself directly with these old ancient song poems herself. So if you were to put that all together, if you look at the earlier poem and the, and the account of Guadalupe, Mary, our Virgin Mary is the mother of the one true God of far and near in Tlokinawake, the one who makes you worthy, worthy to enter the flower world paradise. Which is how it would translate for the ancient. If you connect the two stories together. Wow, yes. fascinating. So what you're doing right now, you're basically ex explaining the role in the background and the context for the conversion of the Aztecs or, or uh, the indigenous the people Indian, of right? Mexico. The, the, yeah, this is this is the context to the mass conversions because they made these connections, correct? Yes. Yeah, they. We, well, that's the premise. That's the you know, it, it's it's a way to explain nine to ten million, million. conversions, especially uh, with the population, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it was a true. It's it's considered the largest Christian conversion event in the history of the world. So we're we're saying, of course, the tilma is the tip of the iceberg, but we're hopefully we're providing more context, more backstory as to how these conversions would have happened or why yeah, and why. why. Yeah, what you're doing, what I, what I hear you saying is you're connecting the Thilma to the flower world, which precedes 1531. It goes way back to Aztec songs, to the, 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 the there's these poetic Aztec songs. There's a connect, the Thilma's connected to all of that, correct? Absolutely. We're, we're saying that the Thilma is, is, is part of a larger kind of artistic Expression. network. Um, so, you know, the, the, and that was it, what's so interesting about the Nawa way of perceiving philosophy is they did it through the arts. These mm -hmm. song, these were actual songs. These were performed with dancing and with uh, log drums called a wewet or a teponatsli. And they would have been memorized and go out from village to village and would have been kind of copied like a meme. But mm -hmm. the, the, the songs were actually meant to give an emotional impact in the same way that you experience beauty mm -hmm. and how beauty, you know, Ratzinger and, and, and uh, Pope uh, Benedict XVI talks about this, that beauty is so important because it wounds you. It, it can give you a glimpse of eternity, whether you're listening to it or as we are, we're musicians, composers, participate. we participate in that creation. Uh, and so, so we know all about that, uh, that place that you go to as, as a performer and as a singer. So the thing is, is that that's important because it can give you a glimpse and the Nawa philosophers, what they used to call them the Tlamatineme, mm -hmm. they tried to make this transcendental connection through beauty and through flower in song, which is called in Xochit in Quicat. That was the mean that they contemplated uh, divine things. Through through singing, through the composing of songs, uh, truth and heaven were contemplated. Exactly. And it was through that, as we've said before, it segues into the, the Guadalupe herself is actually using a lot of these same terms. Uh, we, and we outlined that in our book. She says, ponder this, uh, Juan Dieguito, ponder this within your heart. I mean, she is echoing so many things from the earlier song poems. And from the culture and the belief system, she's echoing it. So the entire Guadalupe narrative and, and is an the echo new, of... And also the New Testament, those words are like very New Testament words that Jesus speaks, what you're just saying mm -hmm. right now. Absolutely. There's a lot of parallels you can draw. You know, we, we feel like we have to set this up. So in chapter two, we go into prefigurement, typology, 
symbolism, metaphor. We go into the concept called preparatio evangelica, evangelical preparation, coined by Eusebius in the second century, how this setup has been done all over the world. Mm -hmm. And we posed the question right from the very beginning, mm -hmm. why did it not happen in the Americas? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's how we set up our book. And we, we pretty much outline how God did it here. We're, I'm, I'm talking here with the Gonzalez couple. They're the authors of this book called Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. You can pick up the book. Perfect time to pick it up. We're right now in the uh, Novena of Our Lady Guadalupe. We're doing a novena mm -hmm. tour all over, the, all over the Americas, maybe all over the world probably. And uh, it's also Advent. Christmas is right around the corner. This would be a perfect book to pick up. SophiaPressInstitute.com. SophiaPressInstitute.com. The book is called Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. We'll continue on the next segment. I want to continue asking some questions about this. I want to ask you about on the next segment, why was it so important for there to be a pilgrimage site at Tepeyec, at that hilltop's particular that's the next question I want to ask you when we come back from this quick station break. And I also want to ask you a little bit about syncretism because some Catholics would probably, uh, they would probably be troubled by some of these connections and they'll say, isn't this syncretism, Jesse? So we'll get into that on the next segment. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. I got this power couple on Joseph and Monique Gonzalez, authors of Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. SophiaPressInstitute.com SophiaPressInstitute.com We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't change that dial. Good stuff. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're back. We're all called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. Be saints. You weren't made to fit in. This is the Terry and Jesse show. I've got this uh, Joseph and Monique Gonzalez, authors of a book called Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. I'm getting taken to school here. I thought I knew most things about Our Lady Guadalupe. This is an, an, a complete a new area that I never even pondered. And so I'm enjoying this. I feel like I'm getting three college units after this interview. You can pick up the book, <laughs> Guadalupe and the, and, the, and, the world, and the Flower World Prophecy, SophiaPressInstitute.com, SophiaPressInstitute.com. So, power couple, I got a question for you. Why is it so important for there to be a, a, a pilgrimage site at Tepeyac proper? What is it about Tepeyac that's so important to this whole story? Well, Tepeyac Hill was a place where um, pagan worship did happen. In fact, the Franciscan friars kind of complained about it, specifically Friar Bernardino de Saun. And um, it, it it caused a lot of problems and actually a lot of controversy from the get-go. But mm -hmm. as we know, uh, the, 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 the Catholic Church and Christianity baptizes and actually sees a lot of times these pagan uh, concepts as preparation for the gospel message it's kind of it's kind of those things that if we see mm -hmm. god god's message is universal of course it's going to be seen everywhere uh it, we're gonna we're gonna have hints of it everywhere mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily go into that point we go into the uh, idea of true myth and 
other ideas as being implantations of, con of pagan ideas. Well, of course, we bring up many others, but um, but that's uh, that's where we go. But but specifically, the, the the importance of bringing of having a pilgrimage site, it is because it created a locus. It created a focus mm -hmm. of people being able to come together. In fact, in the very first document written in 1556, it's called Informe, Infor, Informaciones de 1556. Infor, infor, uh, uh, it, it was a juridical information document dated in 1556. It's legal. It specifically talks about Spanish women and Nawa, the indigenous Nawa, going Coming to, together. to ask petitions at Tepeyac. It, it was, it was a, a big deal right from the very beginning. In fact, it became such a big deal that alms were given and they didn't know where the alms would go to. That was actually- That started the fight. That started this controversy. That was just one of many things that happened. But we distinguish in our book, the importance of, of creating a, a locus, a pilgrimage site as different from the conversions, but we won't get into that, yeah. okay? But um, but anyway, I, I, that's that's kind of opening. Uh, ask, I think we're uh, uh, answering your question. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into the syncretism part too. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, well, that, that's, big that's the big question. That that's the big question. But you've mm -hmm. kind of answered it because you quote it. You quote a Vatican II where it talks about that there are kernels of truth or elements of truth. And even the pagan religions, you know, because mm -hmm. God, his message is universal. So God has been trying to coax or woo the pagans into the fullness of truth, which is a Catholic faith. So I, yeah. I get that. But but kind of explain that a little bit deeper, because some people may be concerned about syncretism, the this amalgamation of, of two religions that are probably yeah. incompatible. I think that's kind mm -hmm. of a, a generic definition of syncretism. So how would you respond to that? How could this not be considered syncretism this whole flower world prophecy mm -hmm. well just to start with even though the flower world prophecy it's pervasive throughout the americas basically what we're saying is that once those understandings and beliefs were put in place especially the whole idea of Nawake being making people worthy of the flower world paradise that they want it's like a little bridge point it's an indicator so that when guadalupe does come along it's it's not staying stagnant. The whole point is that you can't stay where you are as a pagan and gain the flower world paradise. Something has to change. Something has to be obtained. And what needs to be obtained to get it is worthiness. And in their pagan model, they didn't have that worthiness. Right. And, and it's so when you're going into Juan Diego as a baptized Christian, all of a sudden being able to have access to that flower world paradise where previously people couldn't get to it, there's a lot that's being translated there. It's basically, it's pointing towards baptism. It's pointing towards Christ. And then when you have Mary coming in and encapsulating that and saying, I'm not the mother of Quetzalcoatl. She doesn't say that. She doesn't say, I'm the mother of Huishli She says, I'm the mother of the one true God. And then she uses terms that are very specific to the one supreme God as they understood it. Because even though they were polytheistic, they did understand that there was an overriding principle that was guiding and directing everything. And they had names for it. And she identifies herself as the mother of that entity, very specifically, who, mm -hmm. which eventually gets translated as, and Tlokanawake is Jesus Christ. Right. And if, I, if, and if I may add to that, 
if I think one of the biggest pieces of evidence that shows that it wasn't syncretism mm -hmm. is when you look at the conversions yes. accounts, mm -hmm. they were clearly get, bringing their pagan idols to the priest to burn, to mm -hmm. smash them. They were giving up things like polygamy, slavery, things that were actually economically beneficial to them. They were denouncing it. They were going back to their first wives. They were actually paying restitution to their slaves, their previously owned slaves. And giving up properties that I, they felt that they had gotten from unjust means. So prior to Our Lady of Guadalupe, they were resistant to the Christian religion, and they weren't giving these, these things up. They were hiding their idols behind altars. They were doing all kinds of things to circumvent what the Franciscans were telling them to do. And then all of a sudden, she shows up and they change their mind. It, it clearly shows that there was a complete shift in their understanding of what was true. Whereas prior, they were hanging on to the pagan ways. After her appearing, there's multitude of accounts showing that it, that they clearly understood what they needed to do. To right. And, and, and I would say, you know, we call it the rebranding argument. If now you have this Aztec goddess that, that is now supposedly rebranded as the Virgin Mary, the Blessed Virgin mm -hmm. Mary, is that going to cause an authentic conversion? Especially I don't, a sophisticated, It doesn't culture. seem like it. So it was clearly in the story pointing to, and, and Monique just showed pointing, one, yeah. pointing, offering people a bridge that they could cross over to the authentic Christian faith so that they can become baptized. And boy, did they want to become baptized by the millions by the because they wanted time. the flower of truth which is brought up from the earlier song poems in this ancient belief, and they wanted to enter in the, into the flower world paradise for all eternity to live with their creator. I'm just kind of curious. I mean, I've seen it all my life. The, the, the Aztec dances, uh, mm. uh, was that like their liturgy or was it like a peace offering or was it like a war dance? What are the Aztecs or, or do they have different meanings, different dances, different meanings? Well, this is where it gets a little complicated because because dance was part of it from the very beginning, but it was number one, it was never in church. It was always in the plazas outside of the church. And it comes from a tradition. Oh, this is a long story. It's an ancient It's called the Conchero. I'm gonna have tradition. to have you guys on again for just that okay. one. Okay. Yeah, let's okay. not let's not go down a rabbit story. hole. Because that's yeah, that sounds like it's a, it'd be a good topic to talk for about you know about two or thirty minutes or something. So yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so what's the message of the Guadalupe encounter in light of the flower world prophecy? Prophecy. Basically, what we always come back to is this whole idea that God is in control of history. That the whole Guadalupe narrative is a reminder to us that when God is bringing us to the gospel, he often prepares us for a long period of time. He lays all kinds of indicators and then all of a sudden, pow, it all kind of happens in one moment. And then at that moment, you understand why God laid out all these little breadcrumbs and all these little indicators. So the book is basically, it's laying out a, quite a few reasons that people could hang on to so that they could trust this Christian God and know that he wasn't asking them to give up their culture, but instead to take it and use it to, to propel into Christianity. And, and, and so we can see the dark times that we're living right now. Why isn't God doing that right now? Why isn't he Absolutely. preparing us like he did for the Mesoamerican people? So God is in control of history. God is always at work. Amen. So how does the Guadalupe world prophecy relate to other Marian apparitions? If you can make it quick, we got about two minutes. 
Oh, sure. Well, it's definitely the first of the Marian age. It's, of course, as we know, it's the only one that God himself gave us her image. All the others are artistic renditions of, of Mary. Um, there's quite a few different things, but this one 100% is rooted in the culture of the people that um, received that particular message. So that's that makes it unique. Right. And, and, and what we're... Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and as we we're saying, it was huge. It was it was the biggest congr- uh, mm-hmm. Christian conversion. And we're just outlining it to the best of our ability in the mm-hmm. book to show all these breadcrumbs, all these things. And, and it's different. It's it's kind of different from the Fatima or Lord's mm-hmm. uh, uh, message. Mm-hmm. But we're saying it's it's just fantastic what happened. It's wonderful. Yeah, it has its own prophetical element like the others do. Yeah, um, this one this one is left physical evidence versus just eyewitness testimony like the others. There's physical, tangible evidence. So how can we apply its meaning today, the, the, the message of our, our Lady Guadalupe? Well, I would say that, that, you know, Mary, you know, is continuing her role as the messenger, the vessel to bring people to Jesus Christ. You know, of course, we, she, she also has the rosary. She wants us to pray the rosary that we, we know. She wants us to give all our, put all our trust in her through the message of Guadalupe to know that even in the case of, you know, disease or war or plague or all these different issues, she's, she specifically said, she, she said, I want people to come to this place of all ancestors, ancestries. So it's, she does say that she does actually say that in Nahuatl. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so Guadalupe, the blessed Virgin Mary is for everybody. So we need to just put our trust in her, put our trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. And to know that, things uh, in in the end her immaculate heart will be victorious especially in the dark times especially yep like now hey get the book family guadalupe and the flower world prophecy sophia press institute.com guadalupe and the flower world prophecy sophia press institute.com i'll have you guys on another time and we're going to talk about the whole dancing and liturgy and culture i'm i'm kind of fascinated to pick your brain you know, I want I want to sure. understand certain things that I probably can't. I'm just too short-sighted to see. But thank you very much for coming on the Terry and Jesse show. You guys have a blessed Holy Advent, and uh, and uh, we'll see you real soon. Okay, thank, thank you, you Jesse. Jesse. Really God appreciate it. You. God bless you. Bye. You got it. You got it. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. Hey, hey, family. That's a wrap. Up next, we'll continue on with more good programming from the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And uh, remember, we're just like a lighthouse amidst the gathering storm. We want to pray America great again. And uh, we want to just continue putting the spotlight of truth upon this culture of death. Let's speak the truth to power and live without fear. So, what are the five stones of David? Pray a rosary every day, Catholics. No excuses. Remember, Our Lady gave us a rosary to defeat heresy. Go to Mass as often as possible. Read your Bible every day. Remember Fridays, fasting, penance, almsgiving. And remember, go to confession at least once a month. Talk to you soon.